I love that Casey's gonna fly down here and be a part of, of sports camp. Um, one of my previous roles with the church was at the Walton campus as their student pastor. And so I got to know Casey and, and her sons kind of through that space. I remember like where I was in the lobby when she told me that they were moving. And now for her to be like plugged in and engaged, I just think is this crazy, awesome thing. So whatever, that's an awesome way for us to start this morning. Uh, my name is Andrew. I wanna take a second before we start to welcome you guys, everybody who's here in the room and anybody at Walton or at our Oconee campus or if you're watching online or if you're watching this later on Tuesday or something, whenever it is, we're, uh, we're glad that you're here. I am our Oconee campus pastor and I'm in year two of that job somehow. I don't really understand how time works post 2019, 2020. Um, but somehow we're here, we're into year two. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm in month number two of being engaged. I'm gonna get married in November, so pretty excited about that too. Appreciate that. Um, so that's an interesting thing. So here at Ozora, people, people clapped. And as somebody who spent a lot of time at satellite campuses, sometimes that doesn't always translate to the other thing. I love our model, the way we do church here, and the fact that we get kind of this unified teaching because we get to use video and this technology. The one time where it's weird, is when it, people clap here and everybody at Walton or at Oconee, like you have to make a decision and you have to make it early. Like, am I clapping or am I not? Because there is a real chance that I'm coming here with the clap and nobody else is gonna do it because it's a screen and there's not people. So guys, we're past that space. We're good. We're gonna keep moving on. I'm really excited to be here this morning, honestly, with you. Um, we're in the next to the last week of this series that we've been in all summer. It's called Stories of faith, and we've been talking about stories of faith or about faith itself and trying to get a better understanding of it and looking at what scripture has to say about it. Um, and I'm excited to be able to share kind of the story we'll be in today. Um, in a minute, we're gonna read through the whole thing. It'll be in Matthew 14, if you wanna turn there in your Bibles and get ready for, for that. And it was April or, or May when, when Jonathan or Justin or somebody reached out to me and said, like, hey, do you wanna preach in July, you can pick it's the series of stories of faith, pick whatever you want, and we'll, we'll just go from there. And I was like super excited. And this story we're gonna be talking about when Peter gets out of a boat and walks on water is one of my just favorite stories in general. And it was one of the first ones that came to my mind, but that was in April or May, I don't even really remember. And so I've just kind of been sitting in my seat over at Oconee every week being like, is this the week somebody takes it? Is this the week somebody takes Peter and then I'm gonna have to scramble and go to plan B. But God just kind of in his, in his sovereignty guided Josh last week and on before that um, and some other cool places. And so I'm excited to, to spend some time in this passage with us just to set us up by way of, of some context. Before we get to this story, previously earlier in this chapter, we see Jesus kind of in the middle of his ministry on earth. He's going around, he's doing miracles, he's, he's teaching people, he's kind of amassing this notoriety and this popularity and this following, which I always think is a striking thing as I read through the gospels and read about the life of Jesus, that in this age of no internet, really of no mass communication at all, everywhere Jesus shows up, almost immediately there's a crowd there. And he attracts this crowd. And that's what we see earlier in Matthew 14 is he's teaching and this giant crowd is here and these people are hungry and he decides to feed them. If you've heard the, or if you've read the feeding of the 5,000, there were 5,000 guys in this crowd. So the, the real number of people is obviously much larger. And Jesus feeds everybody by breaking apart five loaves of bread and two fish just over and over and over. And then all of a sudden, thousands of people have enough food to eat. It's an incredible story, an incredible Miracle, And so directly after that is kind of where we're gonna jump in 
to this story. So in Matthew 14, we're gonna start in verse 22 and read through verse 33. This is what it says. Immediately, so this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So there's a storm happening. There's people on the boat in there in the middle of a storm. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Fourth watch was probably between three and 6 a.m. So super early, dark, no real light, unless the moon was, was really shining there. Um, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You talk about a story of faith. There are people in a boat in this giant lake, big enough that we call it a sea. We call it the Sea of Galilee, right? And they're in the middle of this lake on a boat in a storm. Jesus is walking on top of water out towards them, understandably freaks them out a little bit, except for Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, if that's you, call me and I will get out of this boat during this storm and I will walk out on the water towards you. It's incredible faith. It's incredible confidence that Peter has that Jesus is gonna follow through for him until it's not, right? Until we, we get to this part where it says that, that Peter becomes afraid. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out. As soon as Peter took his eyes from Jesus, that's when the fear started to step in, right? That's the lesson, like you don't need me to like lie, to spell that out for you. He was looking at Jesus, things were good. He looked away from Jesus and then there's the fear and then there's the danger and now Peter is in a really tough spot. When he, he moved his eyes away from the object of his faith is when things got dicey and when things started to fall apart. In part of our time this, this morning, I want us to talk about that idea of the object of our faith. How is God the object of our faith? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard or said the phrase like we put our faith in God. We put our faith in Jesus. I think it's helpful time to time to remind ourselves that, yeah, that's true, but why is it true? In the, the beginning of this series, I think it was the, the very first week, Jonathan um, kind of helped us define faith and like kind of set the scope of what we were gonna be talking about. And he, he went to a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse one, and it says, it gives us this definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So those translations say that there's co it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see or evidence of what we do not see. Regardless of the translation or version you're reading, the idea is the same, right? It's confidence in something. It's assurance in something. It's conviction in something. And sometimes uh, we, we might get a little scared or we might have a hard time walking through the, the specifics of what does that mean in a spiritual sense. 
Um, but just in our, our daily lives, I think we have a better understanding of this idea than we think. Like all of us are exercising faith in things throughout our day. Like all of you are exercising some amount of faith in the chairs that you sat down in this morning. And I can safely say that because nobody came in here lugging a life-size crash test dummy over their shoulder, picked their chair, dropped it in and waited to see what happened before deciding, yeah, this is where I was gonna sit. No, we just kind of assumed that the chair was gonna work because the chairs worked. If you're here or wherever you're watching, wherever you're sitting, if you're in church every week, you've been here enough to know that I'm not like seeing heads just like drop as cushions give way, right? That's not a thing that's happening. We have some understanding of faith in that space. And there's other areas in our lives, I think, where this is true as well. For me, I think first about my car, actually. Let me tell you guys about this car. It's sleek, it's sporty, it's stylish. No, it's a RAV4, it's nothing it's nothing special. It's a 2015 Toyota RAV4. Um, and honestly, I, I love it. As, as a car, I, I really do. I speak highly of it whenever I'm talking to people about cars or people who are shopping for used cars, whatever it is. It's like, I got mine and it is awesome. Let me tell you what I love about my car. I can sit down in the driver's seat of my car. I can take the key, turn it in the ignition, and that thing is gonna turn on. It is gonna come to life. And then as I'm driving from point A to point B, that middle part, the driving part, it is going to stay on the entire time. It's gonna get me there. I love that. And some of you are a little confused and thinking, Andrew, that is a very low bar for loving a car. And I would say you were right knowing the information that you know. You need a little bit more context to understand my relationship to the RAV4. The context you need is the car that came before. It was a 2002 Honda Accord and I have a different relationship with that car because I could sit down in the driver's seat of the Accord, take the key in the ignition, and most of the time, it would start. Most of the time, cool, great. But then I've got places to go, right? I've gotta go from a meeting here at Azor, I've gotta go to Walton, I've gotta go to Oconee, I've gotta get there, and most of the time, the Accord would do that, and most of the time, the engine wouldn't just turn off for no reason, right? Or maybe I'm going from my house to my parents' house, or maybe, I'm going from a Frisbee tournament in Peachtree City down to South Georgia where I'm gonna see some college buddies and I'm driving down in the middle lane of I-75 and the Honda Accord just like, no, we're done for a minute. <laughs> and it just stops. And I am here to tell you by way of personal experience that that doesn't have to happen to you very many times before I started to lose faith in that Honda Accord. There was no confidence in anything seen or unseen. It was, I'm hoping and I am praying in this thing, and that's what faith is. The object of my faith in that, in that space was not worthy of it. Like it was not dependable, it was not worth me trusting And I needed to be nervous, I needed to be on, on high alert. So as we try to transition back, like I'm not here to tell you like God is a rap for, okay, that's not the lesson, that's not the takeaway for us this morning, but what God is, is a worthy object of our faith. And we see a piece of this um, before the definition of faith that we get at the beginning of Hebrews 11. Um, the writer of Hebrews in the previous chapter in chapter 10 kind of outlines why we can have this confidence, this assurance, this conviction in God as the object of our faith. And we're not gonna read the whole chapter. I think you should. I think it's awesome. I think it paints an incredible picture. But kind of the focus and what happens through chapter 10 is, is he outlines Jesus as the reason that that we can have this confidence in God. The work that Jesus did when he came to earth, lived a sinless life, and then died a death 
that he didn't deserve to die. And then three days after that, he came back. He made a, a payment, he made a sacrifice. He was the offering for all of our sin for all time. And there's a contrast between that and the way things worked before. The way things worked before Jesus, before Christ. In the Old Testament, there was this law, there was this setup, there were priests, people who were appointed to make these temporary offerings and sacrifices on behalf of the people so that they could have a good standing before God. Jesus completed this. God's plan to draw us closer to himself to bridge this unbridgeable gap that sin created between us and God, Jesus was always the plan. But until Jesus, people had to have this, this faith in the temporary sacrifices that priests would make. And so in, in Hebrews 10, we get this picture of Jesus came and he is the reason, the reason that he came, paid for our sin permanently forever is the reason we can confidently approach God in a relationship with him. We can pray, we can worship and know that he hears us because of the work Jesus does. There's this really cool verse, it's verse 23 in, in chapter 10 that kind of summarizes this whole thing. Because of the work Jesus has done, this is what it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That phrase is simple, but so much bigger, I think, than we, than we realize. He who promised is faithful. God is worthy of being the object of our faith, the one that we look to to carry us through storms because he has always kept his promises. To us, to me, to you, to any one of the people who he's made a promise to throughout the story of scripture. There's not enough time to go through every example, but we could run through a few of them here. You go all the way back to Genesis where God is promising Abraham that he is going to be the father of an entire nation of people. Abraham and his wife don't have their first kid until Abraham's 100 years old. Seems impossible, but God steps through, is faithful, and keeps that promise to Abraham. And there's a nation of people that exist today because of that kept promise. You look a little bit farther on in, in the story, somebody like, like Moses, who's busy hiding out because he killed a guy, and so he had to run away, and he's hiding in the desert, and God comes to him, and he says, Moses, this is what's about to happen. My people... The Israelite people who have been in slavery in another country, I'm about to lead them out of that and into a new land that I have promised and set aside for them. And God comes through and there's this incredible story and there's plagues and there's miracles and God parts the Red Sea and an entire nation of people walk across the bottom of it on dry ground because God is faithful and he keeps his promise. He who promised is faithful. You can look later on in the book of Genesis at, at Joseph. Joseph who gets a dream from God that says you're gonna be placed in a, a position of great authority over people including all of your brothers. Joseph, the, uh, the typical kind of arrogance of a, of a younger child, right? Feels like his brothers need to know this thing. Hey guys, I'm gonna be in charge of you at one point. They don't take to that super well. They're like, we're not gonna kill you, but we're gonna sell you into slavery in another country. And then while he's in slavery in another country, he gets framed for a crime he doesn't commit. He gets thrown in jail for this long amount of time. He thinks he has a way out of jail. He, he makes some good relationships. He, he befriends somebody who, who is going to get released from prison. He says, hey, don't forget about me. Tell, tell Pharaoh about me so he can get me out of here. He's like, yeah, yeah, Joseph, I got you. I won't forget. Proceeds to forget. But eventually what happens? God follows through. He lifts Joseph out of prison, puts him in a position of, of great authority in one of the most powerful nations in the world. His, his family comes before him because they need his help, because there's a famine. And God kept his promise and was faithful to Joseph. He's faithful to another Joseph in the New Testament. 
right? Where God tells him by way of, of an angel, hey, you're this woman who you were about to marry but have not yet married is about to have a child. It's gonna be a son. His name is going to be Jesus. And he's gonna save the world from their sins. And God kept that promise. And then we get to, to, Pete, to Peter in Matthew 14. Jesus says, sure, you can walk on the water and come to me. and You're going to be all right. And he keeps that promise because he who promised is faithful. And I harp on that and I go through example after example after example because I think if we wanna be able to grow in our faith, like our view of God has to grow. There's a proportional relationship there, right? Like, like the faith that we put in this chair that we sit in is gonna be differently than we put in a bigger, better, more sturdy put together chair. As our view of God increases and as we really understand how faithful he has been throughout time, and then I start to look at my life and see how faithful he's been throughout my life, my faith is gonna grow in relationship to my view of God and how perfect and how good and how faithful he has been. And so as we, as we turn back to, to Peter with this idea in mind, the object of our faith, what is the object of our faith and our relationship to it? I think we can look at Peter maybe with a little bit of a new lens here. And if you're gonna take notes on the app or if you grab a sheet or whatever, we're gonna get to the points here in a second. The, the first thing I want us to, to pay attention to is that Peter identified his next step of faith. Peter identified his next step of faith. Peter is in a boat with a lot of other people. There's somebody standing, walking out to them on the water in this storm. Peter thinks that it's Jesus. He says, Jesus, hey, if that's you, call me out. Peter knew what his next step was going to be. Regardless of your relationship with the Lord, regardless if you've been a Christian for years and years and years and years and years, or if you're here and you're just checking church out and you're not a believer, each of us has a next step of faith that we can take. For some of you, it's the first one. For, for others, it's the five millionth one. I don't know what it is, but there is one there for us. Whether you know what it is or not, it's still there. That doesn't change the fact that we all have growing to do. So we have to start at this step where Peter finds his step of faith where? In the presence of Jesus, right? So as you're going through your life and you're, and you're wondering, what is the next step of faith that I need to take? The, the place we start that conversation is in the presence of Jesus through prayer, through the reading of scripture. That's where we start. You have to identify what that step is before you can take it. And then by the way, you have to take it, right? That's the other spot. And we see this great confidence in Peter as he steps out. The second, the second observation that I, that I see here is Peter's path to Jesus passed through a storm. And this is an interesting one because Peter was aware of the storm before he got out of the boat. We see it, it's established in the earlier verses when it talks about the wind and it talks about how it's hard for the boat to go anywhere because of this, of this storm. So Peter is aware of what he's walking into. And again, there's great faith here. We have to give Peter credit for like being aware of what's happening. He knows what he's asking Jesus to call him into and then he takes some incredible, incredible steps. But then along the way, as happens probably to all of us after we've had like this spiritual high moment and we've stepped out in faith into something, he started looking around at kind of reality, at his day-to-day, -day, at his current real-time situation. He's like, wait a second, I'm on water. There's a lot of waves around me. This is a really easy way to drown and die. And there's fear there. And in this moment, which we, we mentioned before, when his gaze shifts away from Jesus and towards the storm, that's when his faith fails. 
And I think it's important for us to stop here just for a second and, and understand that Jesus did not fail Peter in this moment, right? Jesus is not the one who failed. When Peter turns back and reaches out to Jesus, what is Jesus' response? Immediate, Jesus immediately reached out in verse 31, immediately. That's the nature and the character of God. Jesus did not fail. When Peter was thinking it was not because Jesus had left him alone or was any less powerful than he was when Peter stepped out of the boat the first time. And there's truth there for us, right? Because we walk through storms. Some of you walked into this room in the middle of the stormiest season of life that you can remember, whether it's relationships with, with family or whether it's work-related or it's money-related. There is no shortage of things that can rock our boat and feel like a storm filled with waves that are set to crash down on top of us. Peter's aware of the storm and took a step anyway. And when Peter looked away from Christ, that's when he started to fail. And sometimes our reaction when we're walking through the hard things, the things that we don't understand, the timing that we don't understand where we're praying and God isn't answering it in the right time for us and all of this, sometimes our, our gut instinct is, God, what are you doing? Why have you left? Why have you failed? And, and he hasn't. He who promised is faithful. We have these stories. We have the promises of God kept over and over and over again. And if we, like Peter, be able to, to take that second to realign our, our vision and, and set our eyes upon him again and reach out and say, Jesus, save me. You're the only one who can. Immediately, he's gonna be there. We see this model throughout scripture in other places, right? I think about the, the parable of the prodigal son where, where the son leaves a good father to go do his own thing and live his own life. He hits rock bottom and on his way back, he's just hoping to be accepted in some form. He doesn't know what it's gonna look like. And what we see through this story is that the father has been waiting and as soon as he sees the son return, as we do, he goes out to meet him. He goes out to accept him. He goes out to bring him back into the fold, into the family. That's the record we have. That's what we know of God and about God. So as we're called into storms, which are a given, which are going to happen as a part of living in this broken world that we live in, Storms are going to come. Some of us are in them. Some of them feel like it's been 18 months of, of storm. Jesus hasn't failed you and Jesus hasn't left. And God hasn't abandoned you through that. He is ready for you to turn and he's gonna pull you back. And that leads us to, to this third point here. Peter's, Peter's steps of faith led others into worship. I love the, the end of this in verse 32. It says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. It doesn't say that everybody kind of stood around and was, was awestruck, and Peter was the one who got down and worshiped and thanked Jesus for saving him and pulling him out of the water. Peter's steps of faith and Peter's life example in that moment drew other people closer to Jesus and gave them a better understanding of who Jesus is. We talked about understanding the object of our faith and as our estimation and our understanding of God grows, so does our faith. People in the boat, the disciples in the boat who didn't step out into the water were still drawn closer to Jesus and got a better understanding of who he was because of the work of Peter. For, for me, just in my, in my preparation over the last week, I think this was the part that was most convicting to me. Like I'm the worst at this thing. I'm very bad at sharing, just in general life updates. It's my reputation among my friends. I'll answer any question you have of me, but don't expect me to volunteer very much. I don't know if that's like a personality type or whatever that is, 
But inherently, that's selfish of me because I need to be able to share the work that God is doing in my life, not so that it reflects well on me in any way, but so that people can see God being faithful to me, one of his children, and understand that if he's faithful to me, if he's been faithful throughout the story of scripture, he will also be faithful to them. Part of our our mission statement here at, at this church is we wanna know God and we wanna make God known. That's where this comes from. That's what this is, right? It's this idea of I'm gonna know God and as I know him and as I take steps of faith and I live my life trying to draw closer to him and be more like him, then other people are going to see his goodness reflected from me and be drawn into worship. Are you sharing the things that God is doing? Are you sharing when he carries you through or as he is carrying you through a hard time? Even if you're in the middle of it, they were still in the lake worshiping. Are we selfless enough? Are are we kingdom-minded enough to share that with other people? The response is, is worship. The response to seeing what Jesus did is worship. We go back to Hebrews 10 where, where it says, he who promised is, is faithful. I love the response that the writer of Hebrew even lays out for us there. And let us consider, so if we know that he who promises is faithful, this is what we should do. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day drawing near where the promises that God has made that haven't come true yet, but are going to, right? You wanna skip to the end of this. We wanna get to the point where there is a new heaven, where there is a new earth, where there is only joy, where tears are wiped from our eyes and pain is taken away. That's a promise that he is going to keep because that's what he does. So as we kind of prepare to close, we're gonna have a space at at all of our, our campuses to respond in some way in in worship, And maybe you need to take some time as, as the band plays to figure out what your next step of faith is. We're having baptisms next week, maybe that's it for you. Maybe it's something, I don't know what it is for you. You and Jesus have to have that conversation with each other. Maybe you need to take some time to remind yourself that, hey, my eyes are everywhere but Jesus right now. My life is hard, truly, really hard. It feels dangerous and it's, and it's scary. Maybe you need to realign and realize that Jesus hasn't left you and he hasn't failed you. Or maybe there's conversations you need to have where you need to step up to people and and say, hey, this is what God has done in my life. And let's praise him for that and worship him for that. Whatever that is for you, this is the space for it as we go out into your week. There's the space for it there. This is something that has to continually happen in our lives as we become more like Christ. As we get a better understanding of the object of our faith, our faith is gonna grow. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for stories like the ones that we have. Thank you for the stories that we, that we see even in, in our lives of your faithfulness. You promise us things and then those things come to pass because you are good and you care for us and you, your love and your grace and your mercy, they never run out. Um, thank you for that. God, I pray for all of us. I pray for me that we do a better job of seeking out another step of faith to take because we know you're gonna meet us and we know that you're gonna be glorified after you carry us through. Help us to be faithful to that end. God, we love you in Jesus' name.